Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's Chess Life magazine cover story. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which includes One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, where Dan Lucas talks to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, hosted by our women's program director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our assistant director of national events, Pete Cargianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Today's guest on Cover Stories is Taylor Kingston, a well-known chess author and historian whom I tapped to write our May cover story on the 1946 U.S. Championship match between Arnold Denker and Hermann Steiner. I was looking for a historical cover story, and I'm, well, when I saw that it had been 75 years this May since the match uh, had occurred uh, in the 2021 International Chess Calendar, published by Russell Enterprises, I reached out to Taylor to ask if he'd be interested in writing it. Imagine my surprise when he told me that he was also the editor of the calendar. Taylor Kingston has done just about everything there is to do in the world of chess journalism. He's written over 100 book reviews for the old Chess Cafe website, along with feature articles, interviews, and a number of books under his own name. The newest, Edgar Colley, although I know I've pronounced that wrong and I'm sure Taylor's going to correct me, is uh, a wounded warrior. This book is just out from Russell Enterprises. Uh, He's also done editorial work behind the scenes for some of your very favorite books. Now, I'm speaking to Taylor today at his new home in San Diego. Uh, He's just moved. Yeah, Castle Okay, so not quite San Diego, but close. Um, He's just moved. In fact, uh, we were talking about how he is unpacking uh, as we speak. So, Taylor, welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life. How is the unpacking going? Uh, Thank you, John. Uh, well, the unpacking is a slow process. It's uh, kind of like uh, trying to tear down a mountain using a measuring cup as your only tool. Um, but we're getting there. Yeah, getting it's. There. I, I have. Uh, I have not had to move in uh, goodness ten years now. I've, we've been in our house for ten years, and um, yeah, I, I imagine you have more books than I do, and I don't ever want to think about schlepping them anywhere ever again. Yeah, it's uh, too much. Anyway, um, you were kind enough to agree to write our cover story for the May issue about the 1946 match between Arnold Denker and Hermann Steiner. So tell us about what happened in that match and about each player. Do do you think Denker deserved to win the match? Uh, Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. He played the better chess. Uh, Steiner made some uh, critical mistakes here and there. Uh, in the early going, and then that the last five or six games were drawn. Uh, but uh, Steiner never uh, got out from the hole he dug for himself in the early going. Yeah the uh, the first the first games of the match are uh, in the article which you uh, you annotated with uh, uh, using different sources and of course using your own brain and and. Uh, the modern chess engines. 
Um, and then there's also a game at the end uh, from later in Denker's career where uh, he played a, a well-known chess celebrity. Who did he play? That was uh, Maurice Ashley. Back in the day when uh, Maurice was uh, still on the way up? Uh, yeah, yeah. Maurice was a future GM at that time. I think it was... Uh, 1990-something? Uh, yeah, I don't recall. 1989, offhand. 1990, something like that. And uh, Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but the old... I was going to say... Well, the old Dinker could still bring it. And uh, he did defeat Maurice in a uh, in a Benoni. So uh, uh, striking a, uh, a victory for older players everywhere. Uh, good job, Arnold Denker. Mm-hmm. Both of these men, Steiner and Denker, led I mean, fascinating lives. Um, I agree, yes. Uh, Steiner, uh, unfortunately died early in 1955, but, but Denker had a lot more longevity. So what, what can you tell us about Denker's life after his active playing days? I mean, uh, today I think most people know him primarily as the sponsor of the Grandmaster Arnold Denker tournament of high school champions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there was much more to Denker than that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very much more. Um, in, uh, he, pretty much gave up on chess uh, on the uh, late 1940s, early 50s for a while and concentrated on his career as an executive in a meatpacking business. Uh, Then uh, starting in the 60s, he started playing again. He had uh, gained a measure of wealth uh, from his uh, business career, which made up for the fact that he missed out on a treasure trove of uh, Russian aristocrats' gold and jewels in the 1940s. That's a tale which you recount in the cover story. Yes, yes. That, that's one of the more uh, interesting and uh, odd episodes in his life. Uh, but he gradually uh, attained uh, financial security that allowed him to travel around. He played all over the country. Uh, starting in the late 60s, um, <clears throat> went to Europe several times, played in uh, um, Germany, Holland. Um, and uh, in 1996, he uh, joined a reunion of the surviving participants of the great Groningen, or Groningen, as most people say it, 1946 tournament. Um, Miguel Nydorf was there, Vasily Smyslov, uh, Daniel Yanovsky. Uh, I can't remember offhand all who else. And uh, they played a, a mini Swiss, a, a three-round Swiss. And uh, Denker lost to Nydorf, drew with Smyslov, and uh, beat Yanovsky. So he came out with an even score. Not, not too shabby against that, yeah, uh, that yeah. field. Yeah, and he was very active, not not just with the tournament of high school champions, but uh, with chess in the schools generally, teaching chess to youngsters, um, giving both of his time and his money uh, to the development of chess. And uh, I remember uh, our state champion when I lived in Vermont was a young man named Stephen Weiner. He got to go to uh, the Denker tournament and he just came back with uh, glowing words about it uh, how uh, uh, great it was to uh, to talk with Grandmaster Dinker and uh, sharing his wisdom 
It's um, for, for anyone who has not seen the the Denker uh, Tournament of High School Champions in action. Um, imagine a, a tournament room with with fifty players representing each of the fifty states, uh, the, the best high school players in the country coming to the first weekend of the U.S. Open and doing battle. Uh, it, it's something to see, especially now when we have. Uh, so many other tournaments following in the footsteps that the Denker really laid down the the Barber and the Rockefeller and uh, the Herring. Uh, so many different tournaments, you know, where ultimately you've got 200 or 250 of the best scholastic players in the country, uh, all all doing battle against one another in in incredibly friendly but uh, serious competition. It's it's something to see. So if you if you get a chance to see it, I definitely would recommend you. Come to the U.S. Open and check it out. Um, you used Denker's book as as a as a source for some of the stories in in your article. Yes, uh, the Bobby Fisher I knew and other stories, which he co-wrote with former Chess Life editor Larry Parr. It is uh, it is a fantastic read. Um, I quite agree. I, I wonder how much of it is accurate. Uh, did you, um, <laughs> you're at, you're asking me to give you a, uh, a percentage. Uh, or something? I would take a percentage. I mean, it, oh, okay. I'm, I'm sure there's some colorful exaggeration <clears throat> and I know of one serious factual error in the chapter on Norman Tweed Whitaker, uh, one of the sleaziest chess masters the U.S. has ever produced. Um, it was said that he had been uh, undersecretary of the interior uh, in the Roosevelt administration or Harding administration or something. And that, no, uh, Whitaker never held any federal post like that. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not the sort of book that uh, one should read for uh, Edward Winter style uh, as, a, as a factual source book. It's, it's, it's entertaining. I'm sure that most of it is true. Uh, his pen portraits of uh, the people he knew, so many chess masters and chess hustlers and such, uh, jibes with what I have read in other sources. So, uh, I, I think he um, mostly told the truth. It is uh, for anyone who is looking for a very entertaining chess read. Um, I think this is a great book to to take a look at. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I the reason I asked that is that it seems to me that the Denker excelled in many things, but one of them was self promotion. Uh, you know the, the 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 publicity photos that we see. As, uh, that were included as part of the uh, the story, uh, you know, him with the baseball bat and him with his wife looking at him lovingly, and um, they they weren't uncommon at the time. If if you look at you know issues of Chess Review, some of those photos mm-hmm. were certainly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they weren't completely uncommon. But at the same time, it, it seemed like Denker was very good at at getting those photos taken and and making sure he was, uh, you know available to be photographed. Uh, and, and, and this, I think he got along with Steiner very well in that regard. Mm-hmm. I think it was Kenneth Harkness who uh, said that uh, Denker was a press agent's dream. 
And uh, that, that's evident in, in the things you're talking about. Uh, Steiner was also outstanding at uh, promoting himself and chess. He uh, you know, came to Hollywood in 1932. He was playing in the Pasadena tournament there, which had uh, Alekin, uh among others. The there. great Howard Oman as well won the amateur title. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and uh, I have to, I have to give a shout out to uh, Nebraska's favorite son. I see. I see. Okay. And, uh, Steiner decided he wanted to settle in California. He'd lived in New York city before that. And, uh, he took that chess desert and turned it into an oasis and, uh, founded a chess club that attracted, uh, major Hollywood stars like Humphrey Bogart, Ray Land, uh, Charles Boyer, uh, Lauren Bacall, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's um, it, one of my first memories of chess literature is reading uh, the anthology of Chess Life and Review that was put together by Bruce Pandolfini. Uh, I guess this would have been the late 80s. I have that book, yeah. Yeah, it's um, and and the photos that you found there of all these, you know, famous stars and starlets of the silver screen uh, and, 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 and chess players. It, 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 it blew my mind. I, I couldn't imagine a world in which chess was so glamorous. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, now today we have uh, Norwegian TV broadcasting everything Carlson does. And, uh, it's uh, we, we've come a long way. Yep. Um, this was not your first piece of chess writing. Uh, your your main profession over the years was computer programming, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yeah. But you've really done a lot of chess writing. How how did you get started in, in this field? I mean, I always loved to read it, but once I really got interested in chess uh, back in high school, um, I found uh, reading about the history as interesting as uh, the instructive material. And so I just built up... Uh, a store in my mind of all kinds of historical facts and such. And I also found that I really liked annotating games. So um, at uh, I was at a chess club in Ohio in the Cincinnati area, and uh, the president of the club uh, saw me playing over some other players' games. He says, do you like doing that? I said, yeah. How would you like to be the games editor for our chess newsletter? Uh, annotate games. I said, hey, okay, cool. I did that for about three years, and then uh, I moved to Vermont, and uh, there was no uh, chess newsletter, club newsletter there, so uh, I started one and uh, annotated many games, wrote various articles, uh, some historical, some book reviews and such for that. then I don't remember exactly how, but these, uh, I must have sent one of the newsletters to Hannon Russell, who then was uh, managing the, the Chess Cafe website. And he says, oh, I read this review you wrote in there. I like it very much. Uh, would you like to write reviews for me? I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, so that was the start of... Uh, God, it was, it was more than one review a month, but I, somewhere close to 140, maybe even 150 reviews I wrote, uh, plus various feature articles, historical articles. And uh, 
then that uh, from there, I was able to branch out. I wrote something for Chess Life back in uh, uh, 1998. Yeah, 1998. The Carius Botvinik case, a survey of the evidence. And uh, I also got in uh, Kingpin, uh, New in Chess, and uh, Inside Chess. Had articles in all of those. The uh, the book reviews, as, as someone who has done his fair share of these. Uh, I, I did want to ask you about your, your review career. Um, what books stand out in your memory uh, for both, for both good and for, for, for bad? For both good and for bad. Uh, let's see. I think overall the, the most impressive book, God, there were several. Okay. Like in terms of serious historical content, uh, Alexander Alekin's Chess Games, 1902 to 1946, by uh, Skinner and Verhoeven, is just outstanding. It's got every known Alekin game, plus it puts everything in context, you know, what, what went on in this tournament, with this match, what Alekin was doing in his life, uh, that sort of thing. It's just a, an absolutely invaluable reference for entertainment. Jan Donner, Janhein Donner's The King, uh, it's a collection of his articles in Dutch publications, translated very skillfully into English, uh, is vastly entertaining. It's, it's the only book I would compare to Danker's for entertainment value, uh, as well as historical value. He makes, you know, what's going on uh, very entertaining. Uh, with his very curmudgeonly wit style. That's a, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some some people got offended. They said he was a uh, male show. And, and he was. Well, yeah, yeah, he was. He, he was, but he pulled it off so well. And, and in a self-deprecating uh, fashion uh, all his life, he, he had to write a, an article about Nuna Gaprindashvili, the, the women's world champion, uh, who won a tournament that otherwise was all men. And, and he says, uh, Oh gee, what am I going to do now? You know, <laughs> now that I can't deprecate women players, uh, the best autobiography of all is, uh, Paul Benko's, uh, my games, let's see, my life games and composition, which was published by, uh, Jer- Jeremy Silman. You had a, did you have a hand, an editorial hand in that, if I, if I remember reading? Just, just proofreading. Okay. Just proofreading, yes. That's the only non-Russell Enterprises book that I had uh, any hand in. <clears throat> On the bad side, um, the books of Paul Motwani just, uh, I have trouble reading through them. <laughs> Uh, there, there was one especially, Chess Under the Microscope. And his stuff I, is aimed at children uh, more than adults, I think. But uh, even so, it's, I find it very hard to uh, take his uh, array of cutesy-poo characters that he keeps parading and uh, silly little acronyms. And uh, hot chess and cool chess. Yes, I remember those. Yeah, all, all, all of those. Um, <clears throat> I had the occasion to review 
one book by Eric Schiller. Uh, that was quite enough. It was just as bad as one might expect. That was uh, Learn from Bobby Fischer's Greatest Games. It should have been titled uh, Read Annotations Cribbed from Bobby Fischer and Other Writers and then misconstrued by Eric Schiller. Yikes, shots <laughs> fired, Taylor. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I was known for uh, for brutal frankness in in my reviews. Um, I wanted to but, I wanted to ask you about this because there are definitely different schools of thought as to what a book. I I, I prefer the term critic, and and maybe that already sort of mm-hmm. exposes my biases. Um, but the, there are there are different schools in thought and on what a, a reviewer's job is, particularly in a in a small world like the chess world. Um. I always thought that it was my job to point out the good and the bad um, and, and, and to be frank, as frank as I could. Um, I, I would agree with that. Is, is there any, I mean, w- w- could you ever see a case where you think, you know, I don't want to review this work, this book because I know that it's just going to be, I'm just going to give it a shoddy rating, so to speak. And what's the point in doing that? Um. No, I, I don't think I ever turned down um, <clears throat> a book that Hannon Russell wanted to assign to me for review. He had several other reviewers besides myself. Uh, I don't think I ever turned any down. Um, but uh, that, Could you see a situation where you might? Uh, well, I'd, I've done so many reviews that it was like uh, uh, in Shakespeare – uh, where a character says, if music be the fruit of love, play on so that surfeiting the appetite may sicken and so die. So, <laughs> I reviewed so many chess books that my appetite for reviewing anymore uh, is long gone. But you're still very active in the chess book collectors group mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So do do you still buy do you still buy chess books? What 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 do you look for in a good chess book these days? Uh, Hannon Russell still supplies me with every new publication of his, uh, and uh, I buy anything that uh, piques my historical interest. Uh, and recently, I'm getting into uh, uh, some German sources. I, I want to research uh, how chess was or was not politicized under Nazi Germany. Um, and an article may be forthcoming on that eventually. Then uh, uh, I'll just buy anything I come across that, that looks like it might uh, come in handy someday on the calendar, that sort of thing. So I, I think many listeners, particularly of a, uh, of a certain age, will recall your writings on Keres and Botvinnik and, and the, the question of whether or not Keres was forced to throw games to Botvinnik at the 1948 World Championship Tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what got you so interested in this and, and why did you end up being so convinced that, that Keres was done dirty, so to speak, by the Soviets? Ah, well, what, what piqued my interest first was an article by Larry Evans, uh, appeared in Chess Life, oh, I'm not sure, about 1995 or so. And uh, his uh, work was based mainly on analyzing the games and saying, oh, yes, did 
this is an obvious mistake by Karras here. Anyone can see he should have done this other move. Uh, and um, once I started checking Evan's sources and such, I found there were uh, serious flaws in what he had written, like, like he was quoting uh, James Schrader, who uh, is a well-known crackpot, or was, I think he's passed on, um, and he misinterpreted uh, and misrepresented what uh, other sources had said. So I wanted to investigate on my own and uh, try to get at the truth of this and uh, ended up writing two articles, uh, the Carries Botvinnik case, a survey of the evidence, and then a few years later, a further survey of the evidence because I uh, came across uh, several important sources I had not had before. And it was those sources that really punched it for me. Uh, the British historian Bernard Cafferty put me in touch with Ken Wilde, who had uh, hosted Keres when he came uh, to England for a tournament. And uh, Wilde apparently asked Keres directly, you know, uh, what happened in 1948? Was pressure put on you? And Keres replied uh, diplomatically that, uh, well, not exactly pressure, but it was made clear that if Botvinnik did not win the world championship, it had better not be Paul Carey's fault. And that, that sounded quite convincing to me. Uh, th there, there was a, an interview uh, uh, Botvinnik gave to the uh, Dutch journalist Max Pam um, with Genis Sosonko translating. And uh, in that, Botvinnik admitted that Soviet authorities had suggested that, if necessary, uh, the other Soviet players, uh, Karius and Smyslov, should uh, drop games to him. And Botvinnik says, well, of course I refused. But uh, I don't know. T to me, it shows that the idea was definitely in play. And uh, so the preponderance of evidence definitely falls on the side that says uh, Carries was coerced. So by my count, and I, I may have missed one, you have either edited, translated, or written four books. Is that correct? Oh, I have edited dozens. Well, I, I mean in terms of being the named editor. Oh, So yeah, I'm, I'm okay. not thinking of the, well, the last reader. Yeah, the first was um, Heroic Tales, The Best of Chess Café. Uh, which was, gosh, I guess it's 20 years ago now. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because uh, I think that was the first place that my name ever appeared in print, in, in, in chess print, because I had uh, I'd asked a question in one of the, one of the, the opening, oh, yeah. to one of the opening gurus. Yeah, um, yeah, so, uh, either Pandolfini or Sunil, no, we didn't use Sunil. It might have been, been Nigel Davies? Uh, might might have been. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, I asked a question about a line in in the two nights, and uh, that ended up in the book, and I was I oh. was chuffed, <laughs> as the as cool. people say. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, a few years later, uh, 
Anna Russell got the rights to a Mexican book, Vida y Partidas de Carlos Torre, about the Mexican grandmaster of the 1920s. And now, just just out of curiosity, you you do you have a lot of proficiency with languages? Because it seems like you're working with with sources in in a number of different uh, I'm, a number of different tongues. I'm I'm pretty fluent in Spanish. That's that's my best second language. Und uh, ich kann auch Deutsch sprechen, ganz gut. I can also mm-hmm. speak German pretty well. Uh, so th- those are the two main languages that uh, I've had to deal with in any. Uh, chess writing I've done the, with uh, the Laster reader. Uh, there was a good deal of German material that uh, gone through, In- including some of the first English translations of uh, Lasker's philosophical works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there was. Uh, well, actually, only one. Uh, we translated only one philosophical work. The, the other, uh, which was uh, Struggle, uh, mm-hmm. a, an English edition of that was already available. That was, that was his first philosophical work. Then um, what we uh, worked on was uh, portions of uh, the Philosophie des Unfurnbar, the philosophy of the unattainable, uh, which is a massive thousand-page <laughs> work uh, but we only did small portions of that I, ha- I have to admit the between your work with the Lasker reader and uh, the the two volumes of the uh, the Lasker books that are being put out by um, oh uh, the, the the German folks um, oh, uh, oh yeah yeah the uh, uh, I can't remember the uh, name. Michael Nageli, is that how you say it? Uh, ne- Nageli, my, uh, Nageli yeah, that's, is involved. Yeah. And, He's one of the editors, yeah. And uh, uh, I am Richard Forster and mm-hmm. uh, one one other fella I can't remember offhand. Yeah, that that, that is just uh, uh, stunning, amazing work of scholarship, research, compilation, etc., it's it's also one of the most beautiful chess books. Well, one of the most beautiful books I've seen. Period. The the layout mm-hmm. is gorgeous. The fonts are perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And and then to read, you know, about Lasker's invented games and his his bridge playing and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. his philosophy and his mathematics and uh, I mean just you know uh, very few uh, are as multifaceted as as Lasker was. So it's it's really. Yeah, I, I can't think of any other uh, grandmaster, certainly no world champion, who was as uh, who had such a breadth of intellect as Laster. Now, your newest book just came out. In fact, I got it this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to correct my pronunciation so that everyone will know how foolish I am. <laughs> Edgar Kali, that's not how you say it, but that's how we Americans say it. Uh, Cassia's Wounded Warrior. Yes. How do you... How do you pronounce how that? Do you, uh, yeah, how do you pronounce that? Uh, Edgar Keller. Mm-hmm. Ice's Wounded Warrior. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what led you to write a book on this 
this player that that so many people know simply for his uh, his opening. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the many Fred Reinfeld books on my shelf. I cut my teeth on Fred Reinfeld. Uh, is uh, the Collie's uh, uh, Chess Masterpieces. And I'm just going to call him Collie because that's what most people listening are going to uh, understand. Collie's uh, uh, Chess Masterpieces, which came out in 1936 as a uh, tribute to Collie and, and to let him be better known to American readers. He had never played outside of Europe. Uh, so I started playing through that, uh, thinking that Russell Enterprises might reissue it because they own the uh, copyright to uh, the whole Reinfeld catalog. Uh, but I started playing through the games and Reinfeld's notes, and I found many, many mistakes. Uh, some of the games he called masterpieces were no such thing. Uh, so I said, Oh, holy smoke, I can do a lot better than this, or I should say Stockfish and I can do a whole lot better than this. So I proposed the idea to Hannah Russell. He said, uh, yeah, let's go for it. So I played through, I don't know how many hundred of Collie's games, uh, finding uh, the best ones or ones that uh, represented his style, uh, and uh, others that were uh, maybe not really perfect chess by any stretch of the imagination, but just were so exciting uh, for the back and forth fighting quality of it. That's that's why the full title of the book is The Fighting Chess of Edgar Keller, Tyson's Wounded Warrior. Uh, also, I, I got um, taken up by the idea of this uh, unhealthy, small, frail man. He suffered from a chronic ulcer condition all his adult life. It ultimately killed him. And uh, he was weak and pale, but at the board, he could fight like a giant. And uh, he toppled several giants of his day. And uh, I just got, uh, I felt great admiration for a man who had to fight against his own body as well as his opponent at the board and did so with such vigor and creativity and energy. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite a tale. And uh, the games, uh, I've been playing through some of them uh, in, in the few days since I've gotten the book. The games are brilliant. And uh, anyone looking for a, a good work of chess history that they can also read simply for enjoyment, I think would do well to pick up. Uh, this book. I, I did want to ask you, it seems like this, the, the idea of computer assisted analysis is, is something that is an ongoing interest of yours. I know you've done a lot of uh, supplements mm-hmm. to classic books in this vein. Yes. Um, s- several of the books published by Russell enterprises um, have uh, computer assisted supplements in one case, in the very first case, uh, Lasker's Manual of Chess, we put it uh, as an appendix right in the book. Uh, with later ones, uh, it's uh, a PDF you can download from the Russell Enterprises website. Uh, but, you know, I, I would be going through 
the games of, say, uh, a book by Alaki and his notes also, uh, running uh, a program like Komodo or Stockfish uh, in the background. And uh, every now and then, you know, uh, the, suddenly a move would get flagged as uh, a serious mistake. And so I would make notes of all of these and, and put them in the supplement. Uh, and uh, let's see, other works that have been dealt with that way. There were uh, three books by Alakine, I think. Uh, the uh, Nydorf's book on the 1953 Zurich Candidates Tournament, also. A vastly underrated book. Oh, book it's, that, it's, well, it's an outstanding book. Just outstanding. Yeah, uh, I shouldn't say underrated because the people who know about it uh, rave about it. It's just mm-hmm. that, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure it's in print anymore either. I think it's available on Kindle. Maybe not, okay. maybe not in print. Uh, and yeah, that, that was a joy to work on. I, I had to translate it from Spanish uh, as well as uh, get the games into uh, you know, uh, al- figurine algebraic notation, um, and then also uh, develop the supplement as I went through the games. And uh, yeah, Nydorf had quite a personality, an exuberant personality, and it really comes out uh, in the book. But he's also a very good annotator. In fact, uh, on a percentage basis, his analysis has fewer howlers than uh, anyone else I've examined. Hmm. Who was the, uh, who was the most guilty of uh, uh, making analytical it's, mistakes? It's about a tie between Savili Tartakover and Ruben Fine. Hmm. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think uh, in Fine's case. Well, Tartakover makes sense because it was a lot of, you know, journalistic efforts probably dashed off quickly and, and things like that. That, that is true, yes. Uh, Fine, you would think, would have been more more careful. Well, Fine, for a long time, did the game of the month for Chess Review. And so he was, he had a monthly deadline. And uh, then when he went to uh, put these into book form, I don't think he gave them a second look. And so there's a lot of superficiality, uh, a lot of errors of omission. And uh, hmm. unfortunately, I mean, he was not that kind of player. He was a precise player, careful player. But uh, in annotating, he uh, just had to churn it out month by month. Um, in the middle, well, let's see, who else? Eva is pretty good. Um uh, and oh heck, I can't remember all the rest. <laughs> I've done. That's all right. The, the, we, we won't put you on the spot. Rashevsky is pretty bad. Um, now, did, did Rashevsky do his own annotations, or were they really Reinfeld? Um, in some cases, he did his own annotations. I am certain that no one ghosted the first Piatigorsky Cup, nineteen sixty-three, for him. Rashevsky wrote those, but. Um, yeah, there's a book came out in 1948, uh, originally titled Vershevsky on Chess, and it's uh, almost certain that Reinfeld wrote the game annotations there. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you think there's still value in playing through these old games, even though we know that there are uh, sometimes dramatic analytical mistakes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, just uh, playing through the games, even without notes, is worthwhile. Uh, yeah. Fisher got a lot of the theoretical novelties that he would spring in his games from studying very old games, you know. So one, one can, uh, any chess idea is new if it's old enough. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I just heard a, a, a trainer uh, saying that if, if you wanted to be inspired, uh, you, you could look at games from the 80s and 90s um, to find ideas that, that are still relevant in today's openings, for example, but, but maybe the engine doesn't always think of immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's just all these, there's a gold mine of things out there. You just need to know where to look for them. Um, so this month I, I, I decided I wanted to try something new, Taylor, and uh, you're going to be my guinea pig. So I hope you're okay with that. We, we have not talked about this. Um, but did you ever watch James Lipton's Inside the Actor's Studio? I've watched a few shows of that, yes. You know, he he did a, a questionnaire at the end of every episode, and I often thought that it would be fun to ask the people I talk to uh, to answer similar questions. Now, uh, Lipton's interview, uh, you may know, was inspired by uh, a questionnaire by uh, Bernard Pivot, and which was actually based on something that Marcel Proust did uh, a couple of times mm. in his lifetime. No, I did, I did um, not know that. But what I've done is uh, I, I've, I've modified Lipton's questionnaire, taking some questions from both Pivot and from Proust, just to sort of make it more relevant uh, and, and also uh, less problematic. There's a, there's a question Lipton would ask about uh, your, your favorite curse word. Uh, and, and, and I certainly, I know how I would answer that, but it's, it's probably not best for, for a podcast like this. So um, I'm going to ask you 10 questions and um, yeah, let's see what we have to say. So uh, the, the cover stories for chess life questionnaire edition one, Taylor Kingston, Taylor, what is your favorite word? Favorite word. Whatever I, I like words. <laughs> I love words. Words are my style. I should hope trade. so. Um, Indeed. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Nice. That's a very good word. That's a, a German meaning uh, joy at the misfortune of others. Yes. It, it is, Schopenhauer it is, spoke about it often. About it, the, it is the not capacity for us to laugh. Yeah. It is not uh, a I take pleasure in. I, I just think it's a perfect expression of that particular feeling. Mm. What is your least favorite word? <sighs> Stink or stinking. Mm. What is your dream of happiness? Ah, oh, dream of happiness. Oh, my mom. out over the slopes of my own vineyard and partake of the wine I have made with the lady I love at my side. Not too shabby. I can do that, except they're not my grapes. They're not, the, I didn't make the wine. 
it's relatively yeah. close. But here in Paso Robles, we're in nice wine country, so I'll be doing a lot of that. Towards what fault do you feel most indulgent? Anyway, what, what, is, what is the fault that is least likely to upset me or whatever? That would be another way to put it. Yeah. Um, oh, dear. That's a, that, that's a tough one. Um, but uh, the, the silliness of children, I would say. Who, who would you like to see on a new banknote? Ah, who would I like to see on a new banknote? Uh, does it have to be American money? No, any, any ah, currency. Okay, well, I mean, like uh, the Estonians put Paul Carey's on a, on a banknote. Um, they did. Hmm. Christopher Hitchens. An unexpected choice, but a, uh, I, 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 that's a reasonable one. I would go with that. Okay. What opening do you love? Oh, hands down, the Sicilian, especially the dragon. What opening do you hate? Ah. Several of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would much rather play against one E4 than against one D4. Uh, Let's see, what opening do I hate? Used to be I hated the King's Indian, but then I started playing the Four Pawns Attack. Oh, uh, oh! I know. Yes, it, an opening I would never play myself, but I love to play against it. The Karokan. Ah, so hate it for yourself, but uh, yeah. relish. I, 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 I hate it so much. I love destroying it. There you I, go. I play uh, the Gundaram variation of the Penobotvinic attack. What profession other than your own would you like to have attempted? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you my, my secret fantasy. I wanted to be a rock and roll star. <laughs> Used to have Any, a chronic uh, garage band. <laughs> what was it called? Pink Roid. Roy- Pink Roid? Roid being <laughs> short for hemorrhoid. Oh my God. Well, I was thinking steroid, but that was, uh, this, that, no, that's better. No, I was the lead singer. Not that I am a really great singer by any means, uh, but uh, everybody else was worse. And I knew all the lyrics to songs. So by default, it was you. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I wanted to be, you know, Mick Jagger, Jim Morrison, David Bowie, that kind of thing. Uh, had everything it took, except one thing, talent. Talent, the elusive, elusive talent. Yeah. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, um, anything to do with incarceration. That, that would be very depressing and dreary. Um, yeah, let's just leave it at that. I can, I can think of many other jobs I wouldn't like, but uh, uh, that would be one of the worst. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <sighs> No, I just read your article in Chess Life, and it was darn good. 
Ah, so we, we do have circulation up there. That's good. I like to hear that. Wait, I, I hope so. I remember, <laughs> I remember the, the back uh, cover of an Inside Chess magazine some years ago. It showed uh, Wilhelm Steinitz sitting on a cloud, and he's saying, oh, the next person who comes up here brings their Inside Chess. Inside Chess always did have good cartoons. Yeah. I do uh, yeah. uh, uh, many chess periodicals I miss. Inside Chess is definitely at the top of the mm-hmm. list. Taylor, what is your next project? Uh, getting all my belongings unpacked and getting all my books <laughs> back on their shelves where they belong. Uh, if you mean chess writing project, I, yes. I am not quite sure. I, uh, I started uh, computer-assisted analysis of Bronstein's book on the 1953 candidates, but that's far from completion. But um, I got all these German books from a friend in Delaware. He apparently uh, came into possession of a big cache that the late uh, publisher Dale Brandreth had. And uh, he sold some of them to me. Uh, some go back uh, well over, I say, why? That's the 18th, yeah, go back uh, 150 years or so. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to delve through those and see if an article emerges from it. Maybe I'll try to sell it to you, or I don't know what. <laughs> All right. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much. Uh, if anyone wants to reach you, is there a, a venue that is best? Uh, social media, email, anything like that? I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm frequently on Facebook. Uh, I guess I don't mind my uh, email address being being known. It's uh, ttk5079 at gmail.com. Just don't send me spam. There or just 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 fan mail, no spam. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, Taylor, uh, we will let you get back to your unpacking. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to cover stories with Chess Life. Uh, we appreciate it. And thanks for a fantastic cover story for our May issue. All right. My pleasure, John. I hope uh, we can uh, do another one sometime soon. There you go. Thank you, Taylor. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return next month on the first Tuesday, when we will again be making a deep dive into the pages of Chess Life magazine. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button, where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. If you're already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Thank you and good chess. Chess.